And the rest of you who are now bitter, there's communion up here for you at the end of the service to cleanse your heart. All right. You've got to come back up again. Come back up. Hey, we are uh, excited about where we're going to be headed over the next several weeks. I thought I would just give you a snapshot of where we're headed uh, throughout the spring and then all the way up to the summer. We're, we're still in our Praxis series, and if you're visiting with us tonight, we're going to give you a, just a little bit of, of intro to maybe try to catch you up. This is a discipleship series that we've been in for, for many weeks now. Uh, so we're going to be in that, I think, for tonight and then for the next two weekends here at the, at the uh, Newport News campus. And then we've got Easter, uh, Easter weekend at both campuses. Uh, following that, uh, we've got uh, uh, Pastor Jamie and I are going to be doing a, a series coming out of Easter uh, that we did many years ago, it was maybe three, four years ago, on overworking, uh, oversexing, overspending, all the different excesses that happen to us in life. We're going to be looking at those together uh, as, a, uh, as a church family. So we've got Mother's Day that's packed in there. Uh, Vanessa's going to be sharing. Uh, and then also um, we're going to be finally, right, finally, I, I wanted to do a series on fasting in January when we were fasting, but I really felt like God was speaking to me about something else that gave birth to this entire series. And uh, so we're finally going to get to fasting. Uh, we're going to do several weeks on that right before uh, we go into summer. So uh, it's going to be a great little run for us over these next several weeks. So if you're visiting with us or if you've been tracking with us uh, for any amount of time, uh, these are going to be some great weekends that are coming up. How about that message that uh, Steve had for us last weekend? So good. He was supposed to share that the, the weekend prior, and uh, that's when they had a problem with the, the floor renovation, and we were not able to actually hold services, and so uh, he got pushed to the following weekend. I'm just telling you, when moments like that happen, I'm just telling you God's up to something, right? So, so somebody, one of you who was here last weekend, you weren't going to come to church the weekend before, God canceled the whole service just for you, so you could get a hold of that message. So, so for all of us that suffered for your benefit, you better take that word to heart. That's all I'm saying. All right, all right. So we're in this series entitled Praxis. We get, we get this word, we get this word uh, from Matthew 16, 27. It says, for the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people, right? That's, a, I think, a misunderstanding. All people are going to be judged. Even if you made a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to you, but there's still a judgment that you're going to walk through with Jesus to see how you did with your life. And it says he's going to judge us according to our deeds. And that word deeds is the word that gives us praxis. It's a Greek word. It means the things that characterize your life. So Jesus is going to have a conversation with all of us about what defined you with the life that you were given. If I give myself to the praxis of imitating Christ, the day of my judgment will be one of hope and not despair. Can you turn me down just a little bit? If, if I give myself to the praxis of imitating Christ, the day of my judgment will be one of hope and not despair. We, we don't want to be a church that, that, that's full of people that are afraid of that conversation with Christ. Now, we know there's going to be mistakes. We know that there's going to have, we're going to have some regret, but we want to be a people that are walking together through this life, that are looking forward with great anticipation and great excitement, not because of arrogance, but because we know we lived our lives well for the gospel of Christ. And that's that which has defined us has been this great mission that we've all been given, which we call the one. Now, th these four numbers define for us what we think discipleship looks like. We, these, these four numbers help us understand what, what does Christianity look like in a practical sense. I, I make a vow of devotion to Christ. I know that heaven's going to be promised to me, but what am I supposed to be doing while I'm waiting for heaven 
for eternity. And we feel like these four numbers give us that, that insight. The one, the one is based on a verse that we find that Paul gives us he, in his letter to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, it says, and you should imitate, it's mimites, is in the Greek, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And those are other two references. We've been working through these for weeks. The notes are online. You can get the other podcasts because I'm going to move through these a little bit fast, but just trying to lay some foundation for where we're going tonight. But this word is only ever used in the positive. It's never used in the sense of imitation as negative, as someone who's posing or someone who's a hypocrite or someone who's pretending to be someone that they're not. It's used in the affirmative, in the sense that there is somebody that we say, I admire them and I want to be like them. And for all of us, that should ultimately be Jesus. That's the one. That's the great imitation that you and I have been given is to be like Christ. And if I accept the one, then I have to fulfill the six. The six speak to the six foundational commands that Jesus has given to us through the Gospels. Now, these keep going through an edit. We keep simplifying them. So even from just our own series, I've updated them a little bit. But the first three are follow Jesus, love God, and love people. Follow Jesus, love God, and love people. Again, just doing a little intro to catch you up. And then the last three are grow more, go everywhere, and receive power. I believe that all of Christianity traces itself back to these six commands. That any other command that you find that Jesus gives to us finds its root in one of these six, to follow Jesus, to love God, to love people, to grow more, to go everywhere, and to receive power. If I accept the one, then I must fulfill the six, and to fulfill the six, I must walk in the 12. Now, the 12 are where it gets practical, and that's where we're going to be spending some time together tonight. The 12 are what we call pathways. Now, a lot of people call them spiritual disciplines. We like to call them pathways because they take us somewhere. They take us into the fulfillment of the six. Jeremiah 6, 16 says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the eternal paths. I love that it's plural there. That's God setting up this conversation about discipleship. Where the good old way is, then walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. But they said, we will not walk in it. That's commentary on the nation of Israel and their, their unwillingness to walk in a place of obedience. But I, I think it's more than just historical commentary. I think it's God reminding us, hey, you've got to choose to do these things. God's not going to come to church for you. He's not going to read your Bible for you. You with me? He's he's not going to attend your life group on your behalf. These pathways are things that he says, I'm going to show you what you need to do, but you've got to go do these things. That You have to engage your will to step into a moment of obedience and begin to practice these 12 things. All right, these are the 12. Scripture, worship, prayer, fasting, gathering, relationship, accountability, reaching, service, rest, stewardship, and generosity. If I accept the one, then I must fulfill the sixth, and, and to fulfill the sixth, I must walk in the twelve, and when I walk in the twelve, I become, I become the twenty-four. Right, these twenty-four come from five growth lists that you find in Scripture. Again, we get a handout not too long ago. If you weren't here and you want a copy of that, you let me know. We can get one of those into your hands. But, but these 24 come from five different texts in the Bible that we believe create a, a perfect picture of the character of Christ. If you were to find 24 words to describe who was Jesus, it would be these 24. Authentic, content, hospitable, truthful, persevering, wise, hopeful, loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, faithful, humble, grateful, merciful, honorable, principled, selfless, fervent, forgiving, believing, self-control. I hope when you see that list, there's something inside of you that says, I want to be that person. 
There should be something inside of you that says, I want those words to characterize me. This is the essence of the praxis. When, when we stand before Jesus on that great and final day of judgment, he's looking for people that look like him, and this is what he's looking for. He's looking for these 24 virtues. And may it be that if you call this your church home, that in this community you're finding inspiration to become more and more like those 24 words every day. All right, that's just a little bit of background. I know we moved through that quickly. We put our notes on our website. The podcasts are up there. So if you're visiting with us for the first time, that's just to get a little bit of context for you for where we're going tonight. So I don't know if we're going to get through everything that I've got planned for us tonight. We'll see. We're just going to wade into it and see how far we get. But I want to start with covering three texts that, that speak to connecting these pathways to the virtues. Now, now we, we, we might, over these next few weeks, we'll see, uh, explore some texts that connect the pathways to the commands. But what I felt like we needed to do tonight is look at some texts and some stories in the Bible where, where Jesus is connecting, making a, a, a direct connection between both pathways and virtues. And the first one here is in Matthew 17. Matthew 17. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. So at the foot of the, of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. Now, who's them? This is Jesus and Peter, James, and John. They've been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You can also find the story in Mark chapter 9. A large crowd was waiting for them, and a man came and up before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and he suffers terribly. And he often falls into the fire or into the water. And so I, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, you faithless and corrupt people. More encouraging words from our Savior. You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Now, what he's talking about here is the virtue we restated as believing, but it's the virtue of faith or the virtue of believing, the, the, the ability to believe in a moment of ministry that God can use you to do the impossible. We've already talked a little bit about that tonight. Then Jesus rebuked the demon. Not every sickness is caused by something demonic. Some of it's just our natural world, but there is evil that's in our world, and it takes discernment to know which one it is. And Jesus was always perfect in his discernment, and so he understood the cause. He rebuked the demon in the boy, and it left him. And from that moment, the boy was well. Now afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Listen to what he says, because you did not have enough faith. Are you tracking with me? Jesus is saying to them and he's saying to us that there are ministry moments that are waiting for us in our future that necessitate the presence of these virtues in our lives. So many times we think about virtues as just being a good person, but virtues are so much bigger than that. So many, part of what Jesus is saying, hey, these virtues, you need them to move in the supernatural. You need these virtues in your life so that, so that you can be used by God in moments like this. this. This idea of building these virtues isn't just so you can go through life and, and be the good person. It's so that we can be in this life the effective follower of Christ that God has called us to be in the ministry moments that he's going to bring us to. And by God's sovereign design, he created a situation and a circumstance where they would be inadequate so that there could be a lesson learned. He's not trying to demean them. He's not trying to set them up for failure. But he wanted them to experience what it was like to not have the virtue present that they needed to move in the ministry moment that was in front of them so Jesus could teach them about what they needed and then also how they could get it. Why couldn't we cast out that demon? Why didn't we have enough faith? Why couldn't we believe? 
Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, that if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, right? That's even more encouraging words from your Savior, right? All you needed was this much, right? Just this much. You could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing, nothing would be impossible. All right, so I'm going to push the pause button on my message. We're going to do a little Bible literacy moment. Can we do that? So if your Bible is like my Bible, it has a little asterisk right there. Does your Bible have a little asterisk? Or maybe it has some type of marking, some type of letter, some type of number that tells you to go down and, and, and read in a footnote. And, when you, if, and, and if, you're, if you're reading the Bible through the year, I hope you've got some type of study Bible that has these types of additions in there so, so that you can study and not just read. And, and, and in your study note, and the study note in my Bible, is it says in, in, in some manuscripts will have the additional phrase, this can only come out by prayer and fasting. Now in Mark chapter 9, only the word prayer is included. And then here in Matthew, they don't include prayer and fasting at all, but in some manuscripts it says both prayer and fasting. And then in my Bible, it actually says that they don't include it here because the oldest manuscripts don't have it. And so this is why we say as a church, hey, we, we want to make sure we're reading many different translations of the Bible throughout our life, because if not, you're not going to get the whole story. You're not going to get the whole picture. And the reason for that is because we, we've got over 5,000, not us as a church, but, but the world, right, Christianity as, as a whole, has over 5,000 ancient manuscripts that give us the Scriptures, the New Testament Scriptures in the Greek. Now, 95% of those manuscripts all come from a body of work that's called the Textus Receptus, or the Received Text. And they trace their origin back to the church of Antioch, right, which is the church where the Apostle Paul and Barnabas planted as they came out of Jerusalem. Now, those are not the oldest, but it's the biggest volume. You, you with me so far? I know I lost half of you already, but I'm going to keep going, all right? So then the remaining 5%, they trace their history back to the church of Alexandria. And within that 5%, there are two very famous codexes, which means an ancient manuscript in a book form. It's the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus, and those give us the majority of modern translations, NIV, New Living Translation, things like that. Now, they don't always agree with the Textus Receptus. And so what happens is in academia, there's this ongoing debate, which is more reliable, more or older? You with me? So I've got more over here, but they're not as old. They're still ancient, but not as old. And I've got less over here, but they're older. Now, I'm of the camp. I'm not picking because I believe that God has preserved everything that we're supposed to get. And that's why we as a church don't teach you only read this translation as some churches teach because we believe we need all of the translations that are in the world to get the full understanding of what God intended us to have. So we believe in this idea of assimilating everything from all the manuscripts that come to us. So if you're reading through the Bible in the year, make sure that you've got a good study Bible that gives you notes like this. And if it doesn't, you need to go get a different one. And then you also, throughout your year, maybe you're going to say, I'm going to read today's reading in three different translations and see how they might differ from one another. All right, back to our regularly scheduled program. So Jesus says here, right, these things would come out if you prayed more and if you fasted more. These, for me, what we say here at City Life, these are fill-in-the-blank texts. What Jesus is saying here, specifically, he's talking about faith, but what he's talking on a bigger scale is this idea of virtues. 
He's saying these virtues need to be present in your life so you can be prepared for the ministry moments that God has designed for you. And if these virtues are lacking in your life, it's because your life is pathway deficient. So he says to them, right, you lacked faith, which is a virtue, because you're not praying and fasting enough, which are pathways. You're tracking with me? Jesus is trying to help us to understand there's something that we can do to be different. Now, there's a work that only God can do. There's a work of grace that can only happen in us. There is a, a, a supernatural work that takes place inside of us because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us as devoted followers of Christ. Even if God does all of that, He still looks at you and me and says, there's a part that you have to play. You've got to give your life to these pathways so that it can produce the virtues that you need, so that you need, so you can be like Jesus. And part of being like Jesus isn't just to look like Him, it's not just to act like Him, it's to minister like Him to a hurting, broken, dying world, to turn the tide. Come on. All right, you want to do another one? You really don't have a choice, but just like to say that. Luke 11, Luke 11, 37. Oh, these are good. We're doing three of these. Luke 11, 37. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees, which was a religious political leader of Jesus' day, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and he, and he took his place at the table. Now his host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. See, we don't read this while the kids are in here because we don't want to give them any Bible support for not washing their hands before supper, right? But oh, how I wish I'd had this when I was little, right? Can you hear my mom? Have you washed your hands? Mom, to answer that question, I'd like to turn to Luke chapter 11, right? She would have turned to Proverbs where it says, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? Then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools! Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving, what does he say? Clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. I'm telling you, when you get a hold of this idea of the 1, the 6, and the 12, and the 24, it creates a filter for you to understand the Bible in a whole new way. He's saying it right here. He, this, is the, this is the virtue of being principled, or maybe you, you might think of a, a, a word that's maybe not so modern if you've grown up in the church like me, that we use the word purity a lot, and so we're, we're, we're using the word principled because I think people can understand that one a little bit better, but that's what purity means. That's what principled means. It's a, it's a life without compromise. It, it means that on the, on the inside, you're, you're making decisions, you're, you're living your life according to your, your convictions. And so Jesus is using these, these, the, this idea of ceremonial washing as a metaphor for what needs to happen in, in real life inside of us. He's saying we're dirty on the outside, that needs to be clean. But we're also dirty on the inside, that needs to be clean. We, we need to be principled, we need to be, we need purity. And, and so right, he's talking about a virtue. He's, he's using this opportunity to teach the world about the virtues should, that should be present in God's children. And then he says, now let me talk to you about how you can get this virtue operating in your life. Live generously to the poor. You tracking with me? He's, make, he's making it so plain for us. If your life is missing a virtue that needs to be present, Jesus is saying, get these pathways working in your life. 
Now again, we're not displacing the work that only God can do. We're not displacing the work that only the, the, only the Holy Spirit can do. But the work that only God can do and the work that the, only, the Holy Spirit can do is, does not give us permission to not do the part that we're supposed to do. So Jesus is saying, these virtues, if they're going to be present in your life, do these pathways. And when you walk in generosity, you're going to say, it's a fill-in-the-blank text. You can put any virtue you want in that fill-in-the-blank Right here, he's picking the idea of being principled. All right, let's do the one more. And then I've got some principles I want to talk about that govern the pathways. All right, I saved this one for last because this one gets a little bit tricky, but it's a good one. John 4, 31. So this is following up Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. So that's happened. And now this is the conversation that he's having with his disciples as they're leaving that event. If you've not ever read that story, it's a powerful story. You should read that tonight. John 4, 31. John 4, 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Rabbi means teacher in Hebrew. Eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that, that you know nothing about. Love the disciples, right? Did, did somebody bring food to him while we were gone? I mean, is he, have, he's hiding food from us, right? I mean, thought we were sharing here, right? What's, he, what's, what's this idea that he's got, what? He's, I don't, they're confused. So Jesus explains. He says, hey, I'm not talking about the natural body. I'm not talking about physical food. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. This is the pathway of service, this idea that I have, a, I have a job to do. There's work to be accomplished, that you were made and I were made to be a part of building God's kingdom on this, on this earth. And Jesus is saying, hey, I have some things that God has assigned for me to do today. And as I do these things, as I give myself to these things, that it nourishes me spiritually on the inside. That there is a strengthening that, that comes to me. In fact, I think what Jesus is talking about here is the virtue of fervency because of where he takes this conversation. He says to them, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. Right? He's excited. He's energized. He sees this broken and dying world. There's a fervency that's welling up inside of him that says, I must be about my father's business just as he proclaimed as he was a child. Wake up and look around, he said. The fields are ready to ripe, already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is, is people brought to eternal life. Are you, are you kidding me? Jesus is saying there is nothing more important on this earth than people discovering the eternal life that I'm going to die in a couple of years to give them. Love that. Wake up. Look around, the fervency of Christ. The fields are ready for ripe for harvest, right? He says, come on, eternal life is at stake here. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. This is this idea that you might plant a seed in somebody's life and somebody else might be there to pray with them to make their vow of devotion to Christ. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. This is an impassioned man. 
Jesus is looking at them, and I think what he's saying to them, as I understand the narrative of the story, is there's some fervency that's lacking in you, people. That's what he's saying to them. Why, why aren't you as excited about this work as I am? Why, why, why isn't your heart as energized? Why isn't your heart as, as fervent as, as, as mine is? See, as you begin to serve, as you begin to give your life to the work of building God's kingdom, there is a fervency that will then begin to well up inside of you. See, he's connecting the pathway to the virtue. And what I love about this text, where it takes a little bit of a complex turn, which kind of sets us up for where we're going to spend some uh, remaining time together tonight, is that all of a sudden you realize that all of this stuff is just connected to each other. Because what Jesus is saying here is, as I, I'm here to give my life to the work that God has called me to, and, and then all of a sudden that gives birth to all the virtues. But the one he focuses on here is fervency, and then, and then he shifts to another pathway, the pathway of reaching, which is evangelism. So what Jesus is saying here is all of this stuff is connected. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but you get one of these pathways working in your life, and the next thing you know, you get an appetite for another pathway working in your life. And when this virtue begins to grow, guess what? It causes these other virtues to begin to grow in your heart and in your life. Now, you can't take this only text and this be the only teaching on the pace at which we live life. That would be a mistake. That's why one of the pathways is rest. You'll find other times where Jesus is pulling the disciples away, they're disengaging from the crowd, and they're getting off to themselves because they know that they need some time alone. See, Jesus understands when, when, when he needs to, to, to move in this place of, of, of setting aside his, his, own, his own fatigue. He understands seasons. He understands that on this particular day, there's more work to be done. It's not a time to break. But then there's other days throughout his life in ministry where you see him leaving crowds that still need to be ministered to. You're tracking with me? Because he knows that all 12 of these pathways need to be operating in your life people that maybe don't do enough tend to lean onto the text where Jesus is pulling away. And people that overwork, which we're going to get to in our series, they tend to only lean on texts like this and they wear themselves and their families out. And we want to be a church that helps you find the balance and the healthy tension that needs to exist between all of them together. So there are 12 principles that govern the 12 pathways. We're hoping that by the end of this year, I have a pastor friend of Virginia Beach, we're hoping by the end of this year that, that, that we're going to take all of this and create our own little pamphlet that we can give to someone who's made a vow of devotion to Christ. We, we give out now what we call a New Believer's Handbook, but we're, we're in the process of writing our own, one of those that's based on this, on this series. And then my pastor friend in, in Virginia Beach, who we're working on this project together, he's working on uh, 12 21-day devotionals for each one of the pathways. So our hope is that by the end of this year, and then their church, Church. It's Coastal, uh, I think it's Coastal Community Church in Virginia Beach. It's not the same as the Coastal Community Church here. It's a Baptist church there. That They're the first church that's going to take this whole model that we've developed as a church. They're going to implement the whole thing in their church. And then what we're hoping to do is that both of our churches are going to work together to create a model that we can share with other congregations. So we're, we're, all of this, I know it's a lot of ground that we're covering, but it's, it, we're creating the foundation for something that we're going to be able to get into your hands by way of print. So there are, there are 12 principles that we've come up with that govern these 12 pathways. I, I wanted to get through four tonight. I don't know if we will. I think we might get through a few, uh, maybe just a couple, and then we'll push them into the next couple of weeks and, and won't do as much introduction, and we'll, we'll get through it. All right, the first one is concurrence, principle of concurrence. 
These 12 pathways, they're not preferential, but all essential. Our personalities and our callings might make us more predisposed to some rather than others, but we need all of them active in our lives. Depending on your personality, depending on your calling, your spiritual gifts, how how you're called to function in the body of Christ, how God has made you to build His kingdom, there are going to be some of these pathways that come more natural to you than others. So we like a little participation here at at City Life, so maybe somebody could be so bold to do some self-commentary. In thinking about your personality specifically, tell me a pathway that, that maybe because of your personality is, is, is not one that you naturally gravitate towards. Somebody slip up your hand. Come on. Give me one. I can't see in the back, but is that Kimberly? Kimberly. Say it loud. Rest? Yes. You're tracking with me? So if your personality is that I always need to be active, always need to have something to do, right, then service might be a pathway that you really enjoy. It comes natural to you, but rest is a little bit harder to you. It kind of goes against the grain of your human nature. What's somebody else? Somebody else? Anybody? All the way in the back. Is that Mike? Yeah. Yeah, relationship. And you would connect that to your personality. Say that a little bit. Why is that hard for you? Yeah, that's, isn't that great? So Mike's saying, hey, I deal better with things than people, so relationship is not one that comes naturally to me, right? And so for, for me, I'm a naturally introverted person. That's part of my personality makeup. For you, if you're a naturally introverted person, like you broke out into hives in that little video about the life groups, right? You're tracking with me. I was a little itchy myself thinking about what would I do in a situation like that. It makes us so uncomfortable, right? So we understand parts of who we are make it's not as easy to engage the pathways. We cannot use that as permission to not do it. We will suffer. Yeah. We will suffer. We cannot. It, it's an explanation. It's not justification. Yeah. Right? All right now, now, let me shift gears on you a little bit. Now, this is a little bit more complicated, and, but, but, but if you're here and, and maybe you've done some spiritual gifts testings before, or maybe you've just been in churches where they've taught about this idea that, that part of who you are and your, your, your makeup that God has created you, if you've ever read Eric Reese's book, Shape, you understand what we're talking about here, which is a great book. It's called Shape. It's an acronym for your spiritual gifts, heart's desire, uh, natural abilities, uh, personality, and life experiences kind of forms who God's made you to be, and it begins to help you to understand what you're connected to do. And so when you think about your, your, your spiritual gift, or, or like the Bible talks about servers or encouragers or people that are maybe uh, uh, prophetic or teachers, maybe somebody here could raise your hand and you could say, because my spiritual gift tends to be this, that pathway is a little bit harder for me. Somebody. That's a little harder, isn't it? But we're giving you a shot. Come on, somebody. Anybody? All right. No? Do I see a hand? All right, Dale. Accountability. It's, it's, it's good. It's good, isn't it? You tracking with me? If you're called to leadership, accountability can be hard for you because your personality, how God has made you and the spiritual gift that he's put inside of you to lead, which sometimes comes alongside your personality, but they're two different things. That's what Eric Reese's book helps you understand the difference. But if you're called to leadership, sometimes being accountable to other people is harder because it kind of goes against the grain of who you are. People that move in the prophetic have a challenge with accountability also. 
if you know people that move in the prophetic, right, it's hard for them sometimes because they're, they're convinced that they heard from God and people that they can trust are trying to say to them, I don't think that was God. It's hard for prophetic people to submit to that. We, we need to all be on a journey of self-awareness to understand how our personalities and our spiritual giftings, our life experiences and natural abilities, all this idea of the shape that Eric Reese goes into talking about, that how that sets us up for obstacles when it comes to walking out these pathways. We cannot use it as an excuse to not engage. It's part of one of the reasons why we need a church family. It's one of the reasons why we do what we call membership here, is that this idea of committing ourselves to each other, to love each other enough to have the hard conversations with each other, to press each other. The Bible talks about provoking one another to love and good works. Concurrence. We need all of these pathways happening in our lives all the time. All right, the principle of concatenation. You can also use this as a Christian curse word, right? Concatenation, right? Anybody grow up in a home, Christian home, where they, they didn't, my, I never heard either one of my parents use any profanity ever in my whole life, but they had all kinds of words they used instead, right? It's their Jiminy Cricket. Anybody else have that one? You grow up, I'm a little bit older, right? We should go around and get a, get a uh, right? You, we, we have these words that we use to, 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 to express these, these in, intense feelings, but we understand that profanity, I've got a blog on that, my blog, you should check it out, that talks about why that's, hey, we shouldn't be walking in that, right? And so, so we've got these other words that we substitute. And so this word concatenation, that what this word means is, is that it's, it's, it's sequencing. It's, it's a word that means to sequence. It's, it's a word that comes out of computer programming, that, that, that you start with one and you build and you go to the next one. This is an important principle because if you looked at that list of 12 pathways and you said, Fred, I don't think I'm doing any of those, you, tomorrow you cannot wake up and say, I'm doing all 12. You'll frustrate yourself and you'll give up. So the principle of concurrence means they all need to eventually be operating in your life. The principle of concatenation says you've got to start by adding a few at a time and they build upon each other. You don't need all of them to get started. You pick a few and begin. Perfectionism is one of the greatest thieves of progress because we say if I can't do it all perfectly, I won't do anything. Every life, trans, every life transformative journey that lasts is step upon step, it's building, it's Genesis 1. God did not create the world in six days because it was too much for him to do it all in one day. He did it that way because he wanted to teach us something. He could have done it all in a moment, but he didn't. Because he wanted to teach us about this natural world that we live in. He wanted to teach us something about the humanity that he was about ready to create, that we I can't do it the way he does it. We need to understand the principle of concatenation. We need to understand the principle of sequence. We need to understand the principle of, of putting things into motion and then building upon the progress that we have behind us. It's with starting churches and launching ministries, building a family. Are you tracking with me? We understand careers, jobs. We get this idea. I, it's it's going to take time. Your journey as a devoted follower of Christ, it's going to take time. If these pathways aren't present in your life, it's going to take time. Your goal is for to get all 12 of them working. Like if you just came from the devoted conference, you know why you're so energized? Because you've been rocking those 12 pathways for two and a half days right? It, 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 it causes the, the, the eternal part of who you are to come alive on the inside. You can't live in that place, but you can learn lessons from that. You come away from that and you say, and that feeling inside of me of being so alive, it's because you did the things that Jesus talks about doing that gives life 
through the Spirit. These are the three I always give. If someone were to look at this list and say, say, say Fred, I don't, these 12, I, I got nothing, right? I'm zero. I got, I'm not doing any of these. these. These are the three I always give. Scripture, gathering, and service. Start reading your Bible every day. Start showing up for church every weekend. I know, I know there's exceptions to that, but for most of us, there, there isn't an exception. If we prioritized, if we valued, we could be here every weekend, right? Scripture every day, gathering every weekend for, for, for a worship service of, of like this, for learning and prayer, because so many of the pathways happen in a service. And then this idea of service, of, of finding a ministry that you can connect into. So when people come to City Life Church and, and, and maybe they're brand new to Christianity, these are the three that I talk to them about. Start reading the Bible every day. Start coming to church every weekend. Find a ministry that you can begin to serve in at least once a month. In fact, we say to people, if you call this your church home, you, we expect you to find a ministry once a month that helps make our weekend services happen. In fact, what we probably should start saying is, don't call this your church home if you've not found a ministry that you can help in once a month to make our weekend services happen. Not just because you need to be a part of serving others. We're challenging you in that way because you need to do it for yourself. These virtues are not going to be birthed in your life if these 12 pathways are not active. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to skip these next two, completeness and connection, and we're going to push those to next week. As they're coming, I want to read out of Luke 14. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Let me read that to you again. If you do not carry your own cross, right? There's a cross that Jesus died on for you and me for a cross that we could not carry. But then he looks at me and says, I carried this one for you that you couldn't so that you can now carry the one that you can. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or the king who would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. It's interesting if you study the history of this, this is some sideways commentary that Jesus is speaking out against Herod, the king of the Jews, because he did all of these things. He says, if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot, listen to what he says, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. Jesus, he just, he doesn't soften it for us, does he? He loves us enough to tell us the things that we need to hear. It doesn't mean that we're trying to restart a monastic movement. It doesn't mean that we're saying that there aren't other experiences in this life that, 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 that don't matter anymore and it's only about these 12. But what we are saying is these 12, they are the foundation to all of life and living. They're the foundation. And everything else in this life that we do that just for enjoyment, and I think God created us to experience enjoyment, and that's another sermon for another time, but that's part of the world he created for us. But it wasn't so that we could experience enjoyment at the expense of the things that are eternal. 
And this idea of saying giving up everything your own, it's this idea of posturing yourself with a mindset, a virtue that just says, God, everything that I have belongs to you. See, this virtue of generosity isn't just with moments like faith promise and moments like offering. This virtue of generosity has a lot to do with our relationship with God. Radically generous with all that I have, God, it's yours. And then that's a pathway unto itself called stewardship. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, Scripture tells us. You can go to a lot of other religions and get an easier message. You can go to a a lot of other churches that are still Christian and get an easier message. But at City Life, we've we've got one commitment, and we say if it's in this book, that it's going to be in this pulpit. If it's in this book, it's going to be in our conversation. You might say, Fred, what you're talking about tonight seems overwhelmingly impossible. And what I would say to you is, turn the tide. Turn the tide. Begin to set some things in motion in your life. I'm telling you, it will transform you. It might not happen tomorrow, but if you stay true to this journey of the 1, the 6, and the 12, and the 24, you come talk to me in 6 months. You come talk to me in 12 months. You come talk to me in 5 years. I'm telling you, there is a promise of being able to grow beyond recognition if you would roll up your sleeves and just begin to do the work. God's going to do His part, but will you and I stand with me as we worship? Father, on this night that we come together for for this conversation that presses us, for this conversation that, that challenges us, God, may it be that we would experience this virtue of hope, that hope would come alive in my heart, that we would all say that together tonight, in my humanity it might seem impossible, but I believe that the tide is going to turn and I'm going to become the man or the woman of God that he created me to be. And that one day when I breathe my last and I stand before my Savior, he's going to find somebody that looks a lot like him.